G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and welcome back for part two of our market update, end of year market wrap with Outlook ahead for 2022. I'm so lucky to be joined by Tim Lawless, head researcher and founder of the research division at CoreLogic. This guy, household name in uh, in the industry, and we're really going to get stuck into things in part two here. So we're going to continue to deep dive into this time the rental market, how it flows back around to affect the sale market. We'll do some comparisons with the other capitals. Going to go deeper into firstly, um, how did the banks fare with their predictions for this year and what they've predicted for the coming years. And then we're going to look at our outlook and what investors should uh, be thinking about going into 2022. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. So the banks always come out with their predictions every year and some investors would place a lot of importance on their predictions. Um, I haven't seen the banks be that right ever. (laughs) Um, You can't say that, but I probably can. They predicted that Perth would actually have the highest growth of all the capitals this year with ANZ, for instance, putting Perth at 12% and Melbourne at 7.8%. So how do you kind of reconcile how things have differed so much from what the majority of the banks predicted at the start of the year. Yeah, you know, CoreLogic doesn't have a, a formal um, forecasting model, but but our index tends to be the base for each of the um, the mainstream economic houses to, to forecast the market. So just just looking at the forecasts from a year ago, yeah, they, they were made at a time of just extreme uncertainty for starters. Mm. So I think uh, you know, economists will generally base their forecasts on not just what they think is going to be happening in the housing market, but probably even more importantly is what's going to be happening in the economy and the demographic trends and so forth, which became much, I mean, these sort of things are always hard to forecast, but they became incredibly difficult. Especially when we throw variables like what is ongoing lockdowns going to do to supply? And it almost seems like in hindsight, the limited availability in Melbourne, Sydney, um, and Brisbane to a lesser extent has actually really uh, stimulated or forced um, their prices up. And that's just my layman view from the outside. But um, yeah, yeah, one of the wild cards, it's very difficult to predict how, how that might come into play. Yeah. So I think it's uh, it's going to be a moving feast. And you'll probably notice that uh, these forecasts will be probably more, um, more frequently revised as well. We've certainly seen okay, that through yeah. the second half of this year. To the extent now where we're starting to see each of the, the major bank um, forecasts are being released now at, to say, 2022 or in some cases, 2023. And just looking at those forecasts now, uh, you know, um, we've got uh, looking at Westpac, they're forecasting. 8%, isn't it? For yeah, Perth, 8% in 2022. That was the better one for us. Yeah. That's, well, that's pretty much on par with the, the Australian average. Yeah. AB was up uh, uh, 3.9% for 2022. You've got ANZ was uh, forecasting a, a 3%, uh, 3% wasn't growth rate. It? That's right. And, uh, and then you've got um, CBA with a 3% growth rate as well. 
And most most forecasts are, are leaning towards negatives in 2023, factoring in the fact that, that interest rates will, will more than likely be higher by that time as well. Yeah. And I guess when you see the media, at least here, I think it's almost because of our sentiment, uh, they just grab the negative that's on the other end of 2023 and run that with their headline, you know, birth prices to fall and they grab the, the highest negative that the banks have predicted, you know, 9% by CBA was predicted um, and uh, they run with that. But uh, it's always hard. There's a lot of noise for investors, isn't there? Yeah, and, and to be honest, trying to predict where where prices are going to be two years from now is is not impossible, even at the best of times. And we're far from from uh, certainty at the moment. So, mm. yeah, my, my advice to anybody trying to to figure out where the market's going is look at the short term trends, and uh, you know the longer term trends are, are going to be impossible to to uh, to predict. But if you buy well, you know if yeah. you buy into areas, buy a quality that, asset that yeah, doesn't yeah. have those negatives that are going to show show up more in a downward market. People will pay silly money for just to get into the market now and accept that you're next to a big power line or next to a, you know, directly opposite a shopping centre. But when the market cools, I've seen uh, just how much those factors can can impact things. So I'd, I'd be cautioning people to stick to your ideal criteria. And we've got a whole episode on that previously. Yeah, and stick to a budget. As well, I think everyone would, would appreciate that interest rates will rise eventually. We're actually seeing mm. fixed term rates rising now, but uh, you know, the timing of any rate hike from the RBA is still highly uncertain. Could be late 22. You know, financial markets are factoring in about four rate hikes next year, which uh, the RBA is obviously hosed down. But uh, um, the RBA is still sticking to a late 2023, maybe 2024 rate hike, which, which mm. is seeming uh, is looking increasingly unlikely now that we're seeing some inflationary pressures coming through. I guess while we're on the hosing of down of things, um, did you? we've obviously seen APRA change their lending criteria. What other factors are you thinking from, I guess, a market indications point of view that might come into them changing or applying more breaks? And what are some of the things that you would perceive would go into the, that? Yeah, well, APRA has been really, I think, clear. They they released their their framework for macro prudential policy in in early November, I think, eleventh of November, which really sets out the key things that they're looking at. And interestingly enough, for the first time that I can remember, we actually saw APRA um, stating that they'll be watching asset prices very closely. Um, but along with that, along with asset prices being mostly house prices or housing prices, they'll also be watching lending standards. So uh, one of one of the key, I guess, metrics that's uh, that stood out and probably prompted the the latest um, uh, policy change, which was the fifty basis point lift in the serviceability buffers, uh, was the fact that high debt to income ratio lending was becoming much more common. So uh, the latest data is only to June, unfortunately. We'll see an update through early December for the September quarter. But in June, we saw about 22% of home loans were being written with a debt-to-income ratio of at least six times. And that was getting really high. That was virtually uh, the highest on, on the short time series that the app publishes. But it means that households are taking on higher debt levels um, at a time when we know household debt levels are already quite inflated, especially for housing-related uh, debt. So that's probably I imagine key- that's uh, certainly going to be the case in when you look at even the median house price of Sydney and Melbourne, it's pretty scary for us <laughs> and our sense of uh, value here when we see just how much they've grown and uh, how high they are. So, God, 
I struggle to think how a family could can even um, get into a good school zone or without pushing the budget now. Well, the median house price in Sydney is $1.3 million. In mm. Perth, it's uh, it's $550,000. So yeah. uh, just a, quite a remarkable difference. You know, if you remember back in 2006, I do. Perth was actually a little bit more expensive than Sydney, funnily yes. enough. And, uh, and now and for, for a long time where we were the second most expensive in the country. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so you, you can only, while we can't predict immigration and interstate migration, um, you'd have to think that value plays a big part in it. That's my feeling anyway. Absolutely. And affordability is central to that. And uh, Perth's gone from being the most expensive capital city to the most affordable. There's no other capital city. Even Hobart, Adelaide, Darwin have a higher median value. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. That was the lowest median. We've been forgotten, Tim. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's been forgotten, but uh, it's gone from being overvalued, I think, uh, fairly enough in, in 2006 to being significantly undervalued at the moment. So you'd have mm. to think there's some some pretty decent upside. I guess that's why I feel like even if we get some headwinds and the brakes put on because of, I guess, policy being driven by what's happening in the other capitals, then I still feel like coming off of this period fundamentally we're going to be in, you know, very good stead and and if it does slow down, I think it may only be for the shorter term and we won't have a big uh, drop like we've had off of the back of our other boom because we haven't, you know, when when you look at a 16% gain and factor that in over the last five years or even 10 years what our our net gain is, uh, we're... You know, we're still, I think we've still got a lot of upside and whether that comes, I think it's, we're not going to have to have as big a weight for, to move around into a growth phase again. If it just, it might just mean we need to wait for things to cycle through over east and have liquidity open up again and have um, a few other green lights for us. Yeah, over five years, Perth housing values are up 1.6% per annum. So, Uh, a little bit less than wages growth over the same time, which is quite unique for any capital city. Darwin's the other example where, where that's been the case as well. But uh, yeah, affordability is certainly nowhere near as challenging as what it is in, in most of the other capital cities. So uh, let's touch a bit on the rental market and we'll then get a few other comparisons on the other capitals before I uh, we wrap. And I know your time's very precious and you've got your big... Uh, release uh, coming out tomorrow that you probably need to prepare for. So what have you seen on the rental market and its performance this year? Yeah, rents have been extraordinary across Perth. Um, Perth and Darwin have really stood out as as being just exceptionally strong rental markets. Um, It looks like things might have just started to to level off. uh, Mm, That's what I was seeing. We've sort of sat, Rewa has its median price. I, I track a number of other data providers and stuff and I know Median isn't everything, but I also know the the, um, the median, and I watch the rents on our portfolio of eight hundred odd properties too. And we've often tracked very closely to the overall Perth market, and things seem to have just levelled a little bit at this four fifty sort of price point. But then um, Rewa's data is showing that the vacancy rate has re-tightened again down to 0.9 and how that translates, we'll we'll see. But what I do know is that the number for rent on the market's incredibly tight still from their data point of view, and it's um, I can only see it holding. And I would, ex- I would expect re- rental prices will continue to increase. But again, it depends. I think once we get immigrants happening again, that's only going to 
bolstered that increase. So what is, what's your data showing? I just gave you my synopsis. <laughs> so we're seeing rents, uh, rents across Perth are up about 14% for both houses and units uh, over the year to October. They did peak at about a 17% growth rate coming into the middle of, of this year, um, 17% annual growth rate. There's a few differences here. Um, you know, Perth houses and units are showing really similar conditions, whereas most other capital cities are showing much weaker rental conditions for the unit sector. Mm. Not so in Perth. I think that just really reflects the, the, the limited amount of unit supply that's flowed into that marketplace over time. And another, I think, uh, just contextual point on how to explain why rents have been rising so quickly goes back to that conversation we we're having a bit earlier around investment activity. You know, between 2014 and 2017 or 2019, yeah, good one. we saw investment activity fall from about 40% of demand down to about 13% of demand. And of course, every market around the country is, is reliant, every rental market is reliant on private sector investors to introduce rental stocks. So I think over the last decade or so, or at least the last uh, six or seven years, we've seen Rental supply has really tightened across WA, particularly yeah. in Perth. It was and more the reluctant, uh, the reluctant renter, if you will. So we've tried yeah. to sell our house and we can't get the price that we wanted. So they put it on the rental market. And a lot of those properties, as the prices come back and they're able to achieve what they wanted to, there are a lot of what is getting sold out there. So that is also not keeping stock rentals in this in the stock longer term and you know we're actually having some i'm seeing a lot of pullback and a lot of the agency owners i speak to are, are down on their rental portfolios for the year for that reason so yeah no, no surprise and i think rental markets across uh, perth and regional wa will remain tight especially once we start to see state borders opening up i can only imagine this recent softening we've seen in the rental trends is simply due to the closed borders and uh, probably a lack of interstate migration okay. coming through. Yeah. So that and that uh, you have to imagine that's going to bounce back from both interstate migration picking up as well as overseas when it when it finally uh, uh, when we see international borders opening up. So I think for rental conditions, uh, you know, investors' ears probably perking up here. You have to expect that rents are going to be a fairly strong component of the Perth market. And that's against the backdrop of yields that are already yeah. relatively yeah. high. That's worth it's touching on, yield. isn't it? I was shocked when I saw uh, just how low the yields are in the other states now. Yeah, well, Perth, Perth yields have been trending a little bit lower as well, but yeah, they're way above the national average. So typical house, these are gross yields, typical yield about 4.2% for a house, about 5.3% for a unit. So for most investors, if you're getting a fixed-term mortgage rate that's probably you know the, the low 2% range, um, you can take about a percentage point off a, off a gross yield to, to mm. net it out, just rule of thumb. You're probably looking at positive cash flow properties on average yeah, across yeah. the marketplace. So quite different from... Uh, so that's going to insulate people from some of the interest rate increases that are to come whenever they do. And um, do you have any thoughts on well, data? Because I've been trying to compile this myself, but it's really difficult to know. But obviously there's a lot of tenants that have been that are rushed in to use the grants to build new homes. And, and I've kind of been waiting to waiting until we see the day that uh, these tenants are going to be moving out into their homes. Um, any feel for how that, you know, what sort of data we're looking at or any, any way to gauge what sort of impact this might have? Yeah, I think 
think the numbers are, I mean, the, the, the number of the numbers of homes being built are, are quite extraordinary. You know, we've seen mm. a 140% increase in house commencements across uh, across WA and about a 37% increase in completions. That, that's over the um, over the, the June quarter compared yeah. with the June quarter in 2020. So they were coming off of a very low base, though. Yeah, off a low base, <laughs> fair enough. But um, definitely seeing a lot more supply coming mm. into the marketplace, which I think is very welcome, right? You're always talking about more supply helps to improve affordability and so forth. But to your point, maybe that will take some of this pressure out of the rental market. Uh, it really depends on what, what happens with interstate and overseas migration. Yeah adds more fuel to this rental demand. Yeah. Where and, do we sit in balance between the two? And what's the and, timing yeah, for each? Because anecdotally, builders could be another 12 months away from the, from the majority of properties underway actually getting finished, especially if the shortage of trades continue. So, absolutely. Yeah, you'd have to expect more and more of these people building a home are going to see a bit of an extension in the, the build period. And if they didn't book in a, a fixed price um, contract, then potentially um, there'll be yeah. a bit of a rude shock with construction costs going up so substantially as well. So how is Perth, I guess, compared? We've touched on a few comparisons along the way, but how is it compared with the other growth rates in the other capitals? Because um, just good to give some context. Yeah, so I mean, there are some extremes. If you look at uh, just across the capital cities, you can look at markets like Hobart, Canberra. So Hobart values are up 28% in a year, yeah, wow. a market that's uh, you know, generally been very strong over the past five years, uh, mm. really benefited from a lot of mainlanders moving over there that seem to be quite cashed up. So a lot of capital coming in. A change yeah. to the country and potential work from home, I guess, and just wanting Absolutely. to get out of lockdowns. And- yeah, a lot of mature age folk as well, looking for retirement options and, uh, and flexible working arrangements. Canberra hasn't seen very much uh, um, disruption through the lockdowns either, up until recently at least. Mm. Values there up 25%. Sydney's up 25%. Brisbane's up 22%. So in many ways, you know, even with Perth's 16.4% growth rate over the year, which is, you know, is, is a pretty significant increase in values, there are a lot of other capital cities where values have increased more. And then you get into some of the regional markets. Look at uh, Go to somewhere like um, Noosa or Byron Bay or um, lovely places like, to visit. <laughs> yeah, they're all they've all seen values rise by more than thirty yeah. percent. So uh, some absolutely extreme results when you look around the country, and, and I think this um, this this shift towards or this popularity of remote working and flexible working arrangements has really opened up a lot of those coastal and uh, tree change regional markets for a much higher demand. Oh, excellent! So. Is there any other parting thoughts you can give us on um, what investors, I guess, should be mindful of with regard to Perth and maybe the overall property market moving into 2022? Yeah, I think just to, to sum it up, I mean, clearly for investors, the, the biggest the biggest factor most investors look for is capital capital gain and, and yields are often an afterthought for whatever reason. Mm. But uh, you know, if you look at the capital gains in, in WA, they, they've been pretty mild over, over the medium to long term, which doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be stronger going forward. But you'd have to argue that the Perth marketplace is undervalued at the moment. You can mm. see that simply just in the relativity of, of median values compared to the other cities. Um, you can save $800,000 buying in Perth rather than Sydney, just on averages. 
And then you've also got the, the yield is another really good way to benchmark um, uh, fair value, at least uh, against uh, rental rates. And the yield in, in WA, particularly Perth at 4.4% gross, is much higher than most of the other capital cities. In fact, the only other capital that's higher is Darwin, which which is a lot more fickle, a lot more volatile mm. than what uh, Perth is ever going to be. And I've often seen that direct interplay between when yield is stronger, tenants want to get out and investors want to get in, and it just flows back around to price increases one way or another. Yeah, that's right. And I think uh, just that, that strong yield profile together with, with what's hopefully going to be some prospects for capital gains uh, will be really attractive to investors along with uh, the relatively low entry price, which um, as we see serviceability uh, uh, conditions tightening across lenders and lenders becoming a little bit more cautious, that low buy-in price probably makes it a lot more achievable for, for a lot of investors to get into the market in, in Perth. Yeah, it makes sense. And thank you so much for all your time and insights today. I'd love to have you back sometime next year and hoping you have a wonderful Christmas ahead. Great. Thanks, Jared, and, and all the best to you and, uh, and your staff as well. Thanks so much, Tim. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Ciao.